0: From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT shop has it all. Browse our shop now at TNTradio.live. Focused on the facts. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. This is going to be another busy hour. There is a
1: gentleman, a uh, quite professional fisherman in Australia who is missing in northern Queensland. Someone I know quite well. And it looks as if this fellow has been taken by a croc. I'll speak with my uh, former radio colleague, Gavin Pitchford, a little bit later. Gavin and uh, Butch is the man's name who's missing. We all knew him as Butch. They co-hosted a fishing show on radio across Australia. And now one of the co-hosts is lost. We'll speak with Gavin about what we know. Also, Senator Holly Hughes a little bit later. And I want to catch up too with Greg Canavan from Fat Tail. We're going to have a little bit of a discussion about net zero and other various measures being taken by Western nations to reach net zero and save the planet. But first, a dead man is the mastermind behind terrorist group Hamas's deadly raids on October 7th. A dead man. Uh, you may have picked up the story already. We were running it in our news. Um, on July the 27th, 2014, the Israeli Defense Force declared senior Hamas leader Mohammed Sinwar had been killed in an airstrike on a residential complex on July twenty seven, along with more than a dozen other Hamas figures and their families. The IDF's Operation Protective Edge was a punitive assault targeting Hamas leadership in the Gaza Strip after an escalation of violence following the murder of three hitchhiking Jewish teenagers in the West Bank. The seven-week conflict resulted in 67 Israeli soldiers and six civilians killed, along with 2,200 Palestinian deaths. But Mohamed Sinwar is alive. The IDF indirectly conceded in a statement over the weekend. You always wonder when they say, oh, we've got the fourth in line of that terrorist group has been taken out. Pat, 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 applaud, applaud. And you think, hmm, I guess we're supposed to just believe that. This fellow is the youngest brother of Hamas's leader, Yahya Sinwa. And Israeli Defence Minister Yohev Galant proclaimed Yahya to be a dead man walking just days before the revelation. An IDF tweet announced its troops raided a Hamas military post and training outpost on Saturday, killing 30 Hamas fighters. Inside, the soldiers searched the office of Mohammed Sinwar, where military documents were located. Analysts immediately realised Mohammed Sinwar was supposed to be dead. Hamas in 2014 admitted Sinwar's death So they should and would because a dead man can sneak up on you a lot easier than someone who's alive. And they released a photo appearing to show his body on a blood-stained bed. The IDF now accuses Sinwar of having led Hamas's subsequent tunnelling operations and rocket attacks, something the deadly Operation Protective Edge was supposed to have prevented. He was 100% one of the core team who planned October 7, a former Mossad counter-terror chief said yesterday. You better get your dead bodies right. Meanwhile, the boundaries of free speech in the transgender rights debate appear set to be determined in a High Court test case over alleged incitement of hatred at a public rally. Tasmanian Anti-Discrimination Commission Sarah Bolt has ruled Hobart City Councillor Louise Elliott must face a tribunal inquiry for allegedly inciting hatred against trans women at a March rally. Miss Elliott told the Hobart rally, attended by British transgender reform critic Kelly J. Keene, that trans women remain biological men and some change gender to gain attention. Miss Elliott also used the speech posted online to suggest trans women should be excluded from women-only spaces because she can't be raped with a penis if there is no penis present. Now, she may have exceeded and exaggerated to make the point, but this woman is entirely right. Transgender women are biological men. Go and ask any biologist, any biologist in the world. They are biological men. Just because they think and they want to be women doesn't make them women. As for whether Elliot is somehow going to lose this case or not, who knows what's in the minds of those on the bench of the High Court. This is TNT Radio.
0: The news you want. They cover the important story. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: I don't know how many times I've analysed and unpacked the ridiculousness of chasing a net zero emissions target here especially spending billions and billions of dollars or, in the case of the United States, trillions in pursuing the target. If you believe that man's emission of CO2 is the great destroyer of the planet, if that's your thing, and I have some major doubt about that, it's only the likes of China and India who may be able to change the temperature of the planet, maybe at best. And yet in Australia, for instance, the Labor government is full steam ahead with expensive and unreliable renewable power, while demonising and ditching the reliable sources of baseload power we've enjoyed for so many decades, coal and now gas. And as I've said before, it's a suicide mission for absolutely no scientific benefit whatsoever, none. But with all this green evangelism from a climate-obsessed Labor government comes investment opportunities. So I thought we'd look at this... Major global issue today through the mind of investment advisor and research executive Greg Canavan. Greg is the editorial director of Fat Tail Investment Research and editor of flagship investment letter, Fat Tail Investment Advisory. He uses technical charts and valuation analysis to find compelling growth opportunities in the stock market, including, of course, green stocks. He joins us from Melbourne. Greg Canavan, welcome to TNT Radio. Chris,
2: how are you, mate? Good to be here.
1: I'm doing very, very well. Last time we spoke, what was it? Many, many years ago in a different scenario and you were probably in a very different role.
2: I was in a slightly different role. And if I remember correctly, it was in the lead up to the uh, to the, the GFC back in 2006 or 2007. So we're, we're back talking stocks, mate.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, let's dive right into this. Net zero,
2: possible or impossible and why? Uh, impossible in the timeframes that we're talking about. So we're talking about uh, getting our renewable energy up to 82% of the total by 2030 and net zero by 2050. That is impossible. Uh, Our total energy needs around the world at the moment uh, are only met uh, by renewables at 14.5%. So we've had trillions of dollars of investment over the past 20 years and we're still at 14.5%. Uh, renewables. So that means 85% from fossil fuels, from uh, coal and and gas and and nuclear, a very small amount of nuclear, I should add. Uh, So oil, uh, coal and gas are our main sources of energy, uh, and they will continue to be our main sources of energy for many years to come.
1: Net zero, a massive waste of
2: money or not? It's a huge waste of money. uh, And to to just be really clear on this, this is I look at things from an economic perspective, not from a an ideological or a sure. political perspective. And what we're what we're doing here as a country, we are putting billions of dollars into a very inefficient form of energy production. So if you look back at the Industrial Revolution, which was a huge increase in living standards over many decades. Uh, for humanity. We went from wood to coal. Coal was a far better and far more efficient form uh, of energy uh, creation. Uh, And from there, we went to uh, oil and then then to gas. At the moment, we are looking at stepping back in terms of the efficiency of energy. And we are spending many, many billions of dollars to do that. So the return on investment is going to be quite low, and the result will be much higher energy costs and electricity bills in the years to come.
1: We're being encouraged too, Greg, from all corners, not just politicians, to go entirely electric with EVs being pushed down our throats and electric household appliances becoming our only choice. Where's the five or six times the baseload power we'll need coming from?
2: Well, that's a good point, Chris, and I don't think there's a there's a genuine plan for it. Australia is way behind where it needs to be if it wants to achieve these targets. Uh, we are being told to increase our electricity consumption by, as you say, buying electric vehicles uh, becoming electric in all in all ways, at the same time as we're trying to close down our reliable uh, coal base-fired base load power stations, and we expect intermittent solar and wind energy sources to make up the difference. It is simply not going to happen, but that's something the that politicians just don't really want to talk about. The cost of these things are massive, uh, and the intermittency. Uh, of the the forms of energy place huge strains on the uh, electrical grid, which is going to uh, increase costs again. Uh, but we just don't have the energy. It's just not going to. It's not going to meet the demand that the politicians want us to uh, want us to get to. So it's it, it really is a pipe dream.
1: In a very juvenile way, let me explain something. Um, when radio decided to go from analog to digital. Um, many radio networks decided to make sure that the digital system was totally and utterly up and running, could totally and utterly service the broadcast of the network before they made the switch from one network to the new network. And the same applies in this regard. Here we are trying to say, oh, we'll just charge really hard, maybe add a few... Um, meaningful prayers to that effort. And then we'll just have a renewable Nirvana take over and supply us all with reliable baseload power. But what we should be doing, if we're serious about this and we had proper productivity Uh, understanding of how it logistically can work, we would say to that sector, you get up to speed and prove to us that you can supply 100% of our power needs and then we'll switch off gas and coal.
2: Absolutely. I mean, and that – if we were to do this seriously, we would have a 100-year time span, not a uh, a a 7-year time span. This is – it's just – crazy the way it's been uh planned and as you said if you're going to do something you plan it out this has been based on an emotional argument of we need to do something because there's a climate emergency whether there's a climate emergency or not uh is 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 another debate but if you do have a climate emergency it's not going to help by uh Offshoring all your manufacturing to other countries that don't believe in the climate emergency and will just take your uh, manufacturing capacity. you mentioned China and India at the at the top of the uh, the show there. This is what is happening. the west is is uh, de uh, deconstructing their manufacturing sectors. If you look at Germany always been a manufacturing powerhouse, its push to uh, green its economy, is destroying its its long, uh, one competitive advantages in the manufacturing sector uh, manufacturing in the west is is a very small percentage of the economy it's going to get even smaller uh, but what it does is it, it really creates insecurities around your energy supply and any country uh, that you, you know any politician that genuinely, cares about the country does not jeopardise the energy structure and the energy supply and really the way that this has been planned on or more more effectively not planned uh, is, is putting our energy supply in a major jeopardy over the next 10 20 years
1: no oh, it is it is and I'm so glad given your uh, due diligence that you've come up with that conclusion as well I want to take a break and I want to come back and talk to you about the true cost of renewable power based on your studies and also Um, opportunities in the green-laden future. We'll do that with Greg Canavan from Fat Tail Advisory right after a quick break on TNT Radio.
0: Jesse Zerwell on TNT radio. In Nigeria it was reported that Nigeria launches mass HPV vaccination campaign
1: to curb cervical cancer and this jumped out at me
3: because given what's happening in Palestine it is another example of the seemingly never ending brutalization of vulnerable populations to put it one way whether through explicit means like the slaughter that is occurring in Palestine or through more discreet, one could argue, means like
0: so-called vaccination, which is nothing but poisoning. Jesse Zerowell on today's News Talk, TNT Radio.
3: God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home, that's 40...
0: California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a thousand dollar a day fine.
3: Government that stopping could...
0: people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. Partitions are reporting that vaccine deaths show thick, fibrous clots that don't easily degrade. Stop the jab and save lives. The COVID vaccine does not work. On air 24-7. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Thank you, Robert. One of our listeners using the chat box saying Parliament House in any country is where untapped gases are to be found. OK, so we demonize the real gas and just go straight to Parliament House. I think you might have a... Um, A good source of gas there, Robert. Thank you very much. Greg Canavan is the editor of Fat Tail Investment Research. All right. Greg, the government tells us lies, to my way of thinking, by saying renewable power is the cheapest and the best. They never talk about making the cost, you know, the, the incredible cost of subsidies, for instance, and we've been doing that for so long now. They don't talk about the the manufacturing requirements of building those gigantic wing turbines and then replacing them every 15 to 20 years. And then they don't tell us about building an entirely new transmission network and which will cost in itself about a hundred billion dollars if you listen and read from people who are in the industry. Surely that all makes renewables too costly for what they hope to deliver.
2: Absolutely. Uh, the Obviously, the source of the energy, the wind and the solar is free. Uh, but in, or, in order to capture that, you need huge amounts of land. Obviously, you need to uh, get social license to get access to that land, to build on that land. Um, then you need to hook up the transmission from those areas, and and of course those areas are very far from the population centres. So the transmission lines that have to be built are, are extensive. Um, so so the whole network, the whole infrastructure cost in total um, has never really been costed to to an extent that nah. gives us like for like costs, and that's the real the real lie here is that either. Governments are so incompetent that they don't, they cannot do those costs or they're hiding it from us while they build it out.
1: Mm, I think they're hiding it from us. And when I launch any kind of project, whether it's to do with the media or outside of the media, I write down the outcome and the goal before I work out how to go about it. Because if you're not getting the outcome that you're investing your money for, why even bother doing it? Net zero zealots, Greg, they can't do anything about telling me scientifically what is achieved by spending billions and billions of dollars on this stuff
2: well no because the the the, the zealots are driven by emotional arguments not rational arguments yeah. and when you are emotionally uh, driven towards net zero, you don't really see the second and third or order effects of what you're trying to, to create. So, by shutting down everything uh, in, in Australia, it just transports it to to different countries, and and that's an argument that just won't won't be discussed by by these people. Uh, and it creates real hardships in terms of just everyday everyday people. I mean, we are going through a cost of living crisis, and part of the problem there is the fact that electricity prices have gone up. Considerably over the past few years, um, petrol prices are going up. So these are all feeding into the real effects of of the, this uh, this zealotry about getting to to net zero, which, as you said, it does not help the climate in one uh, in one little bit. No, but
1: for investors, and you work for investors, with the subsidy bandwagon heavily loaded now, there are wonderful green based opportunities. I am sure.
2: Well, there used to be, and and this is a really important point. So back in the days when uh, the cost of credit was virtually zero, so we're talking about 2021 when interest rates were still zero, green energy companies were going through the roof. Since interest rates have gone up considerably, these companies have come crashing back down to earth. So. I think you really, as as an investor, you really need to do your homework. Um, I tend to focus on the traditional energy stocks because what the other side of the coin of what's happening here is the climate zealots and the environmentalists are doing their very best to shut any form of new production down uh, for the sources of energy we need. And I said at the start that. Traditional energy, we still use around the world, 85% of our energy needs comes from oil, gas, and coal. Uh, there isn't the investment going into new sources of, of oil, gas, and coal because everyone thinks it's all going to come from green energy. That is clearly not going to happen. So the, the, the upshot of all this is that there will be higher prices of coal, gas, and oil in the future now it's not going to go up in a straight line there will be periods of of really strong prices and periods of correction as we go through economic weakness but my investment advice over the past few years to my clients has been to slowly build positions in these old energy stocks purely because we absolutely need them to keep the economy going uh, and they're not going anywhere for years to come. So a, a good example would be Woodside. It's pulled back about 20% from its highs in the last couple of months. Um, and you know, I think from a long-term perspective, that's looking like a lo- looking like a good buy. Of course, you've got to be diversified because these companies are targeted by the environmentalists. A lot of their projects um, may or may not uh, get up in the time. Uh, the timeframes that they've identified, and they may end up being a lot more costly to develop because of the uh, the, the regulatory uh, hoops and the legal costs to get these uh, projects up and running. But the world absolutely needs more uh this this form of traditional energy because as i said the solar and wind will not do the job in fulfilling our energy needs
1: and all you've got to do is get on the internet and follow the bouncing ball that is follow the stories based on the countries in europe for instance that keep having to revert to the old supply of baseload power they're all doing it aren't they
2: Absolutely. And look, Germany is a great example. When uh, the the, uh, Russia-Ukraine war got underway and the the gas was diverted from Russia back in 2022, Germany... Inexplicitly. This is just insane. But they shut down the nuclear power plants, emissions-free nuclear power, and started mining lignite coal, which is the dirtiest form of coal you can mine. It doesn't make any sense at all, but that is the the economic imperative of what they're having to do uh, because they just need this reliable energy.
1: This is so right. You charge into the renewable realm without doing your due diligence, without having a logistical... Plan that says this is the transition period at this particular point in time and at that particular output. When you don't do that kind of specific due diligence. That's when you get caught with your pants down and you have to rely back on your go- coal, back on your gas. And I don't understand. We've, we've demonised gas as well in the conversation about coal, Greg, when at the same time there's less CO2 emissions. Uh, Australia has so much gas, it's not funny. If you are transitioning over the next 50 years, as many smarter people say will be the case, not not 10, um, you're going to need gas. This is, the, this is like the compromise, the negotiated compromise in between the two worlds.
2: Well, gas is going to be the real winner from this uh, this renewables transition because, as I said, renewables, solar and, and wind, they're intermittent energy sources. Sometimes the energy that comes from them is plentiful and more than you need. Sometimes it doesn't come at all. So they're, they're, they're building lots of gas peaking power plants to be able to put your foot on the gas accelerator really quickly and get that energy into the grid. Uh, but the problem is that those gas power plants that are very much on demand gas are quite expensive you can't it's like driving through the city and, and putting your foot on the accelerator and off the accelerator all the time you yeah. use more uh petrol in your in your gas tank doing it that way so again that feeds into a higher cost of maintaining our electricity grid uh, when you've got renewables that are like i guess the main forms of energy going into it You need expensive gas peaking plants to uh, to provide the backup power.
1: Okay. One last quick question and a quick answer. Nuclear stocks, how are they faring at the moment? Because I see nuclear power as a real long-term solution for the world.
2: Absolutely, they've been on a real tear lately. So they've had a really strong run. Uh, they are correcting a little bit. I would, um, my advice would be to buy those stocks on on any weakness that you see and hold on to the hold on to them for the long term.
1: Okay, appreciate your advice. Appreciate your time uh, in particular. Thank you so much for being part of the conversation, Greg. Much appreciated. No worries, Greg. Good on you, Greg Canavan is his name. Um, fat Tail, remember it. Remember it because his advisory is something you should gravitate towards because, you know, you've got to be honest when it comes to working out what government is up to in terms of energy. You can't just be part of the evangelical push, the new narrative to make it happen, like as if that's how we're going to save the planet. Now, that's all morally fabulous, but it doesn't make any scientific sense and certainly doesn't make any economic sense at all, any. You heard what Greg Canavan had to say the Editorial Director of Fat Tail Investment Research and Editor of Flagship Investment Letter, Fat Tail Investment Advisory. You can look him up and look it up. We've got to go to a news update. I'll get to Senator Holly Hughes straight after that news update right here on TNT Radio.
0: TNT Radio News. Uh, This is news. Here we go. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The Secret Service has
1: released photos of the bag of cocaine that was found inside the White House earlier this year, four months after the shock discovery. It's been revealed the US is running low on air defence systems after deploying an additional six batteries of the Patriot missile system to the Middle East. And massive demonstrations against anti-Semitism have taken place across France, with over
0: 100,000 people pounding the pavement in Paris. For a complete list of shows and our schedule offered on TNT Radio, simply visit our website at tntradio.live. We serve up the latest live news and current affairs, presented by a host of credible and expert commentators who can separate fact from fiction, truth from propaganda, keeping you in the loop on TNT Radio.
1: I thank you, Chris, for sending me that little note on our chat box. They are hiding the cost, he's talking about the cost of renewables, because It's a part of a bigger issue, that of a controlled demolition of Western society and a transition into a world government. Lockdowns, stripping of basic rights and property and reduction of the population. Chris, it is about all of that, plus enabling politicians to keep power and influence because they've decided that the green vote is so essential for them to do that. That's what it's also about. It's about the more... Selfish mission. Okay, I've got Liberal Party Senator for New South Wales, Senator Holly Hughes, who's raced out of the Senate to be with us. We always appreciate that. Holly Hughes, welcome to TNT Radio.
4: Afternoon, Smithy.
1: ANZ boss says home loans are only for the rich. When I read that today, it made a great deal of sense to me. It's a Mm. sad barometer about the economy and a tragic forecast for our children, isn't it?
4: Look, it's really frightening what's happening at the moment. And when you're seeing an average family, Australian family uh, that has a mortgage is around 750000 they are having to find an extra $24,000 per year. Their repayments, uh, since this Labor government's come to power, have increased by 50%. Uh, it's becoming absolutely out of the reach of most everyday ordinary Australians even if they manage to save up that deposit to get on the housing uh, you know, housing ladder. Yeah. Uh, but what worries me is it's going to become increasingly difficult for families that are on the ladder to stay on it Yeah. Uh, because an extra $24,000 a year, uh, and keep in mind a lot of these families wouldn't have qualified for the so-called cost of living relief measures that this government's put forward. So they wouldn't have got... A reduction in their power bill, a one off sugar hit payment. Uh, if these families don't utilise childcare, well, that means nothing to them. Uh, most families can barely find a doctor to get into, let alone one that will bulk them, right. despite the government's rhetoric. Uh, they are not benefiting at all from any of these cost of living measures that the Labor keeps spruiking about, uh, and i yet having to find uh $24,000 a year, and that's after tax. So it's not just earning an extra $24,000 a year, it's probably earning about an extra 40000 a year.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's very it's true. A lot of money. It, meanwhile, economist Judith Sloan wrote today that the Treasurer must do his bit to rein in inflation. Australia is going against the tide of other Western nations, Holly. we You know, it's better news for inflation in places like the UK and the United States, but not in Australia. Uh, The genie may have escaped in Australia and we've let it out of the bottle, haven't we?
4: Well, the problem is it's out of the bottle and this government has absolutely no idea how it's going to get it back in. I mean, they just have absolutely no clue whatsoever. Um, You know, they're spending more. Uh, they're putting money into projects and, and spending more on programs that are just going to be inflationary. Uh, they've, they're relying completely on the Reserve Bank. And the problem is, is the Reserve Bank is putting the additional stress and pain onto mortgage holders. But if you're not a mortgage holder, you're not feeling the, that interest rate rise pain in the same way. That's 63% inflation- of Australia. Yeah, but this is the thing though, inflation affects everybody. Yeah. And so everyone is feeling this effect, but they will not have any conversation whatsoever about the immigration levels that they are continuing to pump up and up and up and up. And the problem is if you take away some of the latest migration figures we are in a recession per G- head of GDP. GP, GP- G- G- oh God, I can't, can't even get it out. I've been talking about it so much. <laughs> GDP per head of GDP. We're yeah. actually already in a recession. Yeah, it's only these new migrant numbers that are boosting uh, us out of uh, being in a in a broader recession. So. Uh, There are really problematic things ahead in the Australian economy, yet this government either doesn't know or doesn't want to do anything about it. And if you look at some of their proposals they've got coming down the pipeline, particularly this IR reforms that Tony Burke's pushing, Uh, it's just going to make things worse across the board.
1: Yeah, um, I should point out, for those who don't know the news, That former Treasurer, Peter Costello, says high immigration is feeding inflation too. And we know he knows his stuff, Peter Costello. Um, But does the government give a damn?
4: Well, I think what is probably a little bit weighing on Peter Costello's head at the moment is he's about to step down as the head of the Future Fund. And we know what this Labor government will do. They'll put one of their mates in to head up the Future Fund. And we need to make sure that they do not at any stage decide that the future fund is actually their piggy bank.
1: Yeah. But they will uh, pick- put their hand in the cookie jar, Holly.
4: Well, I mean this is this is should be of concern to every Australian because you know it has a real possibility of not only making the situation worse today for Australians now but continuing that pain well into the future and for generations to come.
1: Yeah, very true. Um gee there are some sizable cracks in the federal government over Israel. They tried to pretend there for a while, but the Prime Minister now disagrees with his Foreign Minister Penny Wong over a ceasefire in Gaza. See, my feeling about a ceasefire is there's a difference between a ceasefire and doing all you can to prevent Palestinian deaths. I think Israel could do a whole lot more, and they're not doing it, and they're losing the support of the entire world. But as for a ceasefire, how can you back down with a ceasefire and back down to Hamas when they're holding a gun to the heads of so many hostages?
4: Well, I'm just going to disagree with you there for a second, Chris. I think Israel is in many, many ways attempting to assist Palestinians to leave Gaza. A lot of Gazans are being either stopped or are willingly staying uh, to support Hamas or stopped by Hamas. Uh, we know Hamas uses its own civilians, its own fellow Palestinians as human shields. We know that they set up in buildings like schools and hospitals uh, because thats they're a terrorist organization. They don't operate under the same Uh, rules or regulations of international law, Uh, I don't even think in some ways they act within the laws of humanity, what some of the behaviour they uh, conduct themselves with. Um, And I think somehow the reporting, uh, there is still, I think, in some elements of the media, an anti-Israel bias. Oh, there there certainly certainly is, but it's hard
1: to pick a side when you're not there and seeing it for yourself.
4: Well, uh, you, I don't think anyone's going to Gaza at any time soon. Uh, and, you know, Gaza, uh, look, I I feel very strongly on this issue um, and very, very much support the Israeli and the Israeli right to defend itself. But that itself. doesn't mean
1: the Israelis no. always get it right.
4: No, but if you want a ceasefire, I'll tell you when there is a ceasefire, October 6th.
1: Yeah, I don't, Every I'm single not supporting issue. a ceasefire
4: yeah and and every single issue comes back to hamas and when they attacked israel you know it was a pogrom that led to more jewish deaths in one day since the holocaust yeah Yeah. and it's you know those of us that went to school and learned about the holocaust i was in israel 15 months ago and went to yad Vashem, the holocaust museum It, it it was incomprehensible to me when i was there that the world could have ever found itself in that situation that a a group of people could have been uh, subjected to that form of genocide while in many instances the world sat back and watched. And it's frightening to see uh, these pro-Palestinian movements who never make reference to Hamas, who make no reference to the attacks conducted on October 7th, and who talk about a ceasefire without any mention of the hostages that are still being held. We are talking about the elderly and children. Uh, It is absolutely appalling. And Hamas does not engage in accordance with international law. And so to say we need a ceasefire, quite frankly, it would just be a time for Hamas to regroup, for probably their mates in a couple of other countries who we know funnel both weapons and money to them to boost their supplies, for them to conduct another pogrom on Israel. Like, I, I absolutely feel that there is a, a, a sort of a complete disconnect here, uh, that if if this was happening anywhere else in the world, you wouldn't see anywhere near this sort of pro-Palestinian uh, sympathy without a mention of Hamas anywhere.
1: One quick uh discussion. I've only got a minute left. When does the Senate get its chance to quiz the inept management at Optus? I'm looking forward to that.
4: I understand it's... Ne- uh,
1: Friday? I- I think
4: I- it's Friday? You know what? I'm, I'm on that committee and I'm going to have to check my notes. No, it's Friday.
1: The ABC is reporting Friday. Friday. I'm, I don't rely on that, but they're saying Friday.
4: Well, we don't have the numbers on that committee, so someone may have decided when it is before they've let us know right. or it's gone into my diary, but I do have a meeting. No, you're right, sorry. It's happened in the last hour or so when I've been in the chamber uh, between 9 and 11 on Friday.
1: Because on so many fronts... Uh, they tell us that it wasn't a software issue. We wouldn't be upgrading software and cause a drama like this, they say. And, of course, that's proven to be wrong. Then they don't come out of their bunker, uh, both when they were hacked and then the other day when their upgrade froze the whole network. They don't come out of their bunker to reassure their customers to communicate properly. It's just appalling.
4: Well, I mean, customer management, all of those sorts of things, the basic PR issue, and I know you understand this, is you get out on the front foot. You certainly don't hide away. And the behaviour is extraordinary in the way, and this is their second major incident, Ah. and they haven't learnt from the first one that they need to get out and explain themselves. They've just hidden away, as you say, in the bunker. Yeah,
1: exactly. I'll let you get back to the real business of being part of running the country. Thank you so much for your time.
4: Thanks, Mithy. Have a good week. Good
1: on you. Thank you very much. Senator Holly Hughes, Liberal Party Senator for New South Wales, who uh, puts it so succinctly, it's great to have her on the program. As I mentioned, and I've mentioned a couple of times in the program now, there's a fellow that's missing in North Queensland who happens to be in the radio industry, and some of us know him quite well. I'm going to catch up with one of my former colleagues, Gavin Pitchford, shortly, otherwise known as the One Iron, Uh, to some of my uh, loyal listeners. uh, He worked with this fellow that we know as Butch, Roman Butchasky, for many years on a radio program, uh, an experienced and professional fisherman. He's sort of like the master of Sydney Harbour this fellow, and it looks as if he'd been taken by a crocodile at a location that he was uh, regularly a visitor to. So we'll talk about what we know, and uh, it's such a sad outcome, and I couldn't think of anything worse a worse way to go could you just awful we'll come back with gavin right after this on tnt radio de-weaponizing
0: weather with reality and perspective
3: well our girl greta is at it again except she might have just hung herself with her own rope now what rope is that well she wants to get into political activity she's trying to parallel what's going on with israel and palestine with climate change. In fact, this is exactly how they work. They try to link things together, and yet there's some people in the climate community that don't like this at all. As a matter of fact, they resent her doing that because after all, whether they're right or wrong, climate is important to them. But let me tell you what the common denominator of what people like Greta Thunberg are doing is. They don't know all the facts. She certainly does not know the history, which extends back to Abraham, by the way, of how this whole problem got going over there. She has no idea. And she certainly does not have any idea of the seven, eight, nine, in fact, probably infinite amount of counters to her climate change stance. So consequently, these people are getting these very loud voices and they're based on ignorance. And the big question is, is how can a society and how can people that need facts, confront facts, have the freedom to do so. How can they survive when the voices that are yelling and screaming the loudest are coming from ignorance? Ponder that question for a while. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got.
0: What do I love about riding?
3: It's the thrill,
0: the excitement.
2: Riding gives me a sense of. Freedom. I feel so connected to the road. Riding is like therapy to me. It makes me feel alive.
0: Love riding? Back off. This is The Christmas Show on today's News Talk. TNT Radio.
1: Thank you Tony for your comment on the chat. Live, We are heading for recession, Tony writes Inflation is crazy on essential items, food, fuel and essentials and people need to live so they need to keep buying these items. Immigration is further fueling the issue. Labor has no idea what to do but rising interest rates affecting a third of the population is not the answer It's not. It's never been a way in which you subdue inflation. You just make people's lives of misery. Well, this is a story that uh, those of us in the radio industry are rather impacted by because it involves a former colleague of ours at Sydney radio station 2GB who is missing, feared dead, taken by a crocodile. Roman Bujaski, we all knew him as Butch, is a professional fisherman, a former co-host on that station's fishing show for many years, but after going on one of his regular fishing expeditions along the crocodile-infested Olive River in far north Queensland. No one has heard from him since Sunday. Police started a search that night, but it doesn't look good at all. One of Butch's co-hosts was my former studio operator at 2GB for decades, now a sports audio producer for News Corp, Gavin Pitchford, who many listeners would know as the One Iron. He joins us now from Sydney. One Iron, welcome to TNT Radio
5: how smithy under not so good circumstances i know you knew butch really well yourself so went on plenty of fishing trips with him as well so i know that you have a personal connection to him and it's um yeah extremely worrying it's been a very very long day yeah i bet it has um terrible to talk about it but it's a major
1: story major news story in australia but he knew the area well did he
5: Oh, it's not so much that area. Butch knew every area well. He was a uh, a real student of fishing, as you know. He didn't have wife or kids, so he dedicated all his time to fishing. So
3: yeah.
5: he knew all the rivers around there. He's been uh, fishing around that top end. He used to look forward to it every year, uh, but he's been fishing those sort of rivers around that area. Uh, for you know thirty years longer than I've known him, definitely Smithian definitely knew the na- uh, the dangers of, of so, so he would have areas. known
1: how to protect himself from a possible attack from a crocodile, right?
5: Well, there's always precautions to take like um he used to always talk about not fishing the same area twice or if you know a lot of right. a lot of campers there, a lot of locals, they won't fill up water in the same area twice. so, there's lots of precautions there by locals, and he definitely knew the area enough that, and, and talked to enough locals to know the uh, the dangers of what, what was uh, going on. That's if a crocodile is involved in the first place.
1: Yeah, not confirmed at this stage. Um, his car would have to um, be abandoned. It There could be uh, a reason for this. He might have wandered off and got lost, but it's unlikely, isn't it?
5: Yeah, with... Um that's the thing that doesn't make sense with me. I know Butchy and he's a very impatient fisherman. So <laughs> it would have been a case of, uh, you know, pulling the pulling the buggy up on the side of the uh, of wherever he was going in for a quick fleek, and then jumping back out. I'm sure that that's the way that he fished those areas.
1: Uh-huh.
5: Um, whether they're what, whether he'd fished there earlier, before a couple of days earlier, I'm not too sure. Um, but the fact that they are crocodile infested waters. Um, you, you definitely have to be super vigilant around those areas.
1: Let's talk about Butch. I was in communication with Butch many times last year over the war in Ukraine. He was Ukrainian and had some very strong views on what was unfolding. A passionate man about the country he was born in, wasn't he?
5: Oh, absolutely. I think um, I think Butch's upbringing was um, a very hard upbringing. I know that he, I think he was in refugee camps. He um, oh. and and the big thing about Butchie was, he appreciated Australia so much. You knew he got right into the whole culture of things. He was a massive Roosters fan. Yeah. Uh was a member of the Roosters, played cricket. I think he played cricket pretty close to his 60s, Smithy. So wow. he really took on uh, took on everything about Australia, but he never forgot where he was from. And uh, you know, even some of the stories uh when we used to talk about it about scouts over here or You know, guides, and he said, "You know, you guys are all wusses over here." I was a, I was a guide over in the Ukraine, so he was a, uh, he had plenty of stories. One of his, um, a lot of people won't know that, but one of his best friends is uh, John Paul Young from, uh, from Love Is In The Air fame, and those two used to go on uh, expeditions themselves up around Weeper, the same sort of areas, (sighs) far north Queensland. Uh, Talk JPY would be shattered. Absolutely shattered. I talked to him this morning, and um, you know, it could have easily been him on one of those trips. It could have been any one of us because you know we've all uh, we all wanted to get up there with him. It was just a matter of timing, and uh, yeah, yeah. But he 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 didn't care who was going with him. He was he was always going to go on any fishing expedition. But um, you know, he was a, he was a real fisherman. He was someone that fished every day. He was uh, whether he was flicking in Sydney Harbour. He had a kayak permanently, um, strapped to his roof just in case he saw something out on the <laughs> water. So he was a real passionate, passionate guy about fishing and the knowledge that he had is, uh, is second to none. Uh,
1: have you spoken to Guesty Michael Guest, your third co-host on that show?
5: Yeah. So I, t- I talked to Guesty last night when, when he heard the news, he was actually out fishing. Um, and he's filming today. So I'm, right. I'm sure it's been a really, really tough day for him, but, um. Yeah, loved him. He was probably the last um, last one of us to actually fish with him. I know Butchie did a lot of work with him on his TV show and charity. So, yeah, he's. Uh, uh. Let's hope for the best that uh, something good comes out of it. But as you say, you're um, you're thinking of the worst but hoping for the best. Yeah, yeah. If it's
1: not sharks, mate, and, you know, on that show that you did, you went into the wilds and you experienced the not-so-pleasurable tasks of living out into the outdoors of Australia. And for my international audience, if it's not sharks, it's crocs. We have some of the most dangerous waterways in the world, although pristine, like the Olive River there in, uh, in that area, and I've seen the aerial shots, absolutely incredibly beautiful. But, boy, oh, boy, some dangerous waterways right
5: yeah they are very dangerous i think um i think the one thing about you know going and trying to catch a barrel um or fishing those sort of locations is is the risk everyone knows what sort of risk it is Mm. and the rewards are huge so um with rewards comes a lot of risk and and it's it's a risk that most fishermen know that they're going to take it's um um, yeah, just just really sad that, that this has happened if if, if all reports are, are correct.
1: As I said to someone when I was explaining the story today, I just said it's just a bastard of a thing and even worse, what a bastard of a way to go if it's happened, like being taken by a croc. No, thank you. Just awful. Uh, yeah. Now, a listener mentioned you on air on Friday, funnily enough. You're not forgotten, my friend.
5: <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of good times, didn't we? I think it was... Uh what was it, about 18
1: years? 18 so, years, yeah, in the yeah, same studio. Of, mm, Good mm. fun, mate. All right, all the it best. Thank, thank you very much for doing this for us, and we'll keep across the story, and uh, we hope those who are friends of butchers and uh, keep, uh, keep their heads up because he was a terrific giver. He was a very generous man as well. Good on you, mate. Thank you very much for that.
5: Okay. okay. Thanks, Benny.
1: There Andy. you go. The one on Gavin Pitchford. Who, uh you know, with Butch and Guesty, they rated through the roof. I think it was four o'clock in the morning they were doing that program and uh, rating through the roof. It was very successful. They were very passionate people loving their fishing, which is why you do what you do and why we've heard Butch going to those crocodile infested areas on a regular basis. There are some areas that fishermen just have to go to. That's what they love. Just terrible. We'll keep across the story for you. Now, the inaugural Conference of Australians for Science and Freedom brings together thinkers and community leaders to share learnings, formulate plans, and help establish new and emerging networks and organisations to restore a thriving Australian society founded on science and freedom. Join the exciting lineup of health professionals, scientists, economists, lawyers, journalists, and community leaders to discuss a range of hot topics issues including healthcare policy, democracy and human rights, education, the media and the role of grassroots organisations. The Australians for Science and Freedom Conference, it'll be held at the University of New South Wales on High Street at Kensington on Saturday the 18th of November and also Sunday the 19th of November. So we're talking about this coming Saturday and Sunday begins both days on Saturday and Sunday at 8.30 in the morning. It goes until 6pm on the Saturday and then it will go until 4pm and earlier finish on the Sunday. And TNT Radio, by the way, will be broadcasting from the conference. Tickets available now at scienceandfreedom.org, scienceandfreedom.org. I've run out of time, can't believe it. Uh, But thank you so much for yours. It was a busy, busy program. And thank you for all your feedback on the chat box on TNTradio.live. And uh, for the callers, thank you so much for calling in as well. We'll try and take your calls again tomorrow when we get together I will leave you in the uh, the capable hands of Lembit Opik and in, uh, in the meantime you enjoy yourself I'll be enjoying myself in Queensland for a change and back in the Gold Coast studio tomorrow at the same time hopefully you can join us on TNT Radio <laughs>